friends, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here together in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would continue to pour out your Spirit upon all of us, that we might see you and know you and hear you speaking to us through your word. We praise you that you are real and that you are with us and that you love us so much. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, friends. One of the things I've come to appreciate about the Apostle Paul is his ability to persevere under pressure. What we learn from Paul's life in the passage that we just heard read from his letter to the church in Philippi is that no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult things get, no matter how stressful life can be, Jesus Christ is enough. And because Jesus Christ is enough, we can trust him. This is what Paul wants us to know. And the way that he helps us to know that Jesus Christ is enough is by sharing his story with us. Of all Paul's letters, Philippians is the most personal. Paul starts out in chapter 1, verse 12, like we just heard read, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. This morning, we are going to look at what happened to Paul, what happened through Paul, and what happened in Paul. These three directions. First, what happened to Paul? Well, what happened to Paul is very different from the plan that he thought would happen to him. As a young Pharisee, he was trained by one of the top theologians of his day, uh, Gamaliel. And in Acts chapter 9, we read how Paul started out his career persecuting the church. He thought that he was doing a service to God. But after meeting the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul's entire life was flipped upside down. He went on to complete three missionary journeys traveling the trade routes of the Mediterranean. He helped plant numerous churches. He led numerous people to Christ. And he was planning on making his way to Spain via Rome, but instead he ended up in prison on trial for his life. Paul's trouble began about four, four years before he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And we read about what happened to him through the Acts of the Apostles, chapters 21 to 26. I'm not going to explain the whole thing in, in too much detail, but let me just give you some of the highlights. It started out in the temple in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost. Many of the Jews falsely accused Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple named Trophimus, and this created a riot. An angry mob took Paul out into the streets. They beat him, and they were just about to kill him when a Roman soldier came to his rescue and brought him into the uh, Roman barracks where he was just about to be flogged by Roman soldiers, but he mentioned that he was a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens can't be flogged before they're put on trial. So the next day, Paul was brought before the religious leaders. He asked if he could speak to them, and he started to talk about the resurrection, 
which caused an argument between the Pharisees who believe that there is a general resurrection of the dead at the end of time and the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection at all. And again, this argument turned into another riot. So Paul was brought back into the, into the barracks. And while he was there, a group of hostile Jews made a vow to neither eat nor sleep until they had killed him. That night, a battalion of Roman soldiers smuggled Paul into another city, Caesarea, where they placed him under house arrest for his own safety. Paul assumed that he would be there for a short time because he didn't really do anything wrong, but he was actually detained for two more years. And during this two-year period, he was brought before Felix, the Roman governor, hoping to be released, but instead Felix just wanted Paul to give him money. And then eventually Felix was replaced by another Roman governor named Festus. And when Paul came before Festus, he said, I appeal to Caesar. Every Roman citizen had the right to appeal their case directly to Caesar. And if this happened, the local so soldiers were bound by law to immediately transport the soldier to Rome. So Paul gets put on a boat with 276 other prisoners and soldiers headed for Rome. But while he's on the boat, a storm hits. And the boat was shipwrecked on an island called Pat, um, Malta. The soldiers were just about to kill all the prisoners, but at the last minute, Paul convinced one of the soldiers to stop them from doing it, which they did. And then when they're on the island, Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake, and he's just about to die, which shocked all the locals because he didn't die. And then Paul was um, thought of as being this kind of holy man. So one of the chief officials asked Paul to pray for his sick father, which he did, and the man was healed. And then this starts another kind of holy riot where everyone is, all the sick people are brought to Paul and he prays for them all and then they're all healed. Eventually, Paul makes his way to Rome, but he's put in house arrest until his trial. And it was during this time that he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. Now, after all that happened to Paul, one might expect him to be, well, exhausted, but, but, but certainly uh, bitter, maybe bitter or despairing. But instead, if you read the book of the letter of Philippi, Philippians, you get this sense that, that Paul is filled with joy. Why? Because of what happened through Paul. Verse 12, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's the message of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's the announcement about his pre-existence with the Father, his miraculous birth, his teaching about the kingdom of God, the stories of those who've encountered him, his death on the cross, his rising from the dead three days later, his ascension into heaven, his ever-present reign and rule over all creation by the Holy Spirit, and his promise to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. The gospel is all about Jesus. And what's so amazing about the gospel is that, and, and what actually separates the gospel um, and Christianity from other religions and other philosophies is that when the gospel is heard and believed, people's lives are transformed. Paul says, what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. How did the gospel spread? 
Look at verse 13, if you have a Bible. It, was, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guards guarding Paul in Rome, they worked in four-hour shifts. This means every four hours, a new guard would come on duty and it's not difficult for us to imagine that every guard would have heard Paul preaching the gospel. Now, just to note that these imperial guards were not your typical soldiers. These were elite young men, handpicked by the emperor himself to guard those awaiting trial. They lived in Caesar's palace, uh, not the one in the United States, and, and they were paid more than any other soldier in the empire. They were granted Roman citizenship, and they were required to serve for 12 years, after which time the majority of veterans retired in the city of Rome. Now, we are told that over the years, the veterans of the Imperial Guard became a very powerful influence in the military and in the government. In fact, we are told that whoever the Imperial soldiers elected to the Senate most often won, and whoever the Imperial Guards nominated for emperor became emperor every time, which is why they were given the nickname the Kingmakers. Do you see what's happening through Paul? These young Kingmakers were forced to listen to one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers ever to live for four hours a day. You could say that they were Paul's captive audience. Christian author Ray Stedman put it like this, I suggest if you want to feel sorry for anyone, feel sorry for the imperial guards. Here are these men trying to lead a quiet pagan life, and every so often they're forced to listen to this man who won't stop talking about Jesus of Nazareth, risen from the dead. Since these guards would rotate in four-hour shifts, Paul would be able to share the gospel with all of them, which is why he says the whole imperial guard. One by one, these kingmakers were exposed to the gospel, and one by one, they came to believe in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Ray Stedman goes on, anyone who can read between the lines can see what's going on here. The Lord Jesus, in his role as king of heaven and earth, had appointed the emperor as the chairman of the committee of evangelization of the Roman Empire. But Caesar had no idea what was going on. The Roman Empire was being infiltrated by the kingdom of God. Paul's suffering turned out to be for the advancement of the gospel in a way that far exceeded his expectations and this is quite often how God works. He allowed Paul to be put in chains and through him to advance the gospel through the whole imperial guard. And because of my chains, Paul writes in verse 14, most of the brothers and sisters have been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, and they dare to speak the word of God with greater boldness and without fear. The Christians in Rome heard that Paul was in jail for preaching the gospel, and this gave them courage. Not all, 
of them, but most of them. Some of them were afraid, but most of them were courageous and fearless in sharing the gospel. What happened to Paul motivated them. They probably thought to themselves, if Paul can preach in chains, surely I can preach in freedom. If the gospel is effective in jail, surely it will be effective in the marketplace and in the academy and in the government and in our homes. Notice how the Christians in Rome, they didn't wait for Paul, the professional evangelist, to get out of jail before the mission continued. They took up the responsibility of evangelism themselves. Paul was able to see the goodness and the power and the glory of God working through his suffering. But this is not to say that Paul did not experience pain while he was in prison. He did, especially when other Christians took advantage of his imprisonment and preached in a way that tried to make Paul look bad in order to advance their agenda. But Paul did not let it get to him. In verse 18, he said, what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul shared what happened to him as a way of encouraging us to see how God can use every situation that we find ourselves in to advance the kingdom of God. According to Paul and to the New Testament authors, the reason God allows history to continue is to give more people the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Jesus says that the gospel must be preached to the whole world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. It's important for us to know that God is committed to sustaining and prospering his kingdom. The kingdom of God is the only thing that will ultimately stand the test of time. Nations rise and fall. Political leaders come and go. Pop culture is always changing, but God does not change. And in the end, the kingdom of God will be the only kingdom left standing. Paul had aligned his life with the kingdom of God and with God's mission, and when he reflected on his situation, he rejoiced because even though he was rejected and persecuted and beaten and almost died multiple times, and now he was separated from his community awaiting for trial, awaiting trial for his life, God's kingdom was advancing. And this leads to what was happening in Paul. Verse 19, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will result in my deliverance. The word deliverance can also be translated salvation. What happened to Paul and through Paul was further serving his salvation. Paul had been saved from living according to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ was giving him strength to live in continual loving fellowship with his Father. This is the essence of salvation. We're saved from all that would try to destroy our souls, and we're saved for an intimate union with God. What happened in Paul was a radical reorientation of his life. On the road to Damascus, he was living for himself. He was set out to fulfill his own agenda, but now after he had gone through all that he had gone through, he was living for Christ, and he was set on fulfilling Christ's agenda. This is what God wants to do 
in each of us. He wants to save us from living self-centered lives to living Christ-centered lives. Salvation begins the moment we hear the gospel and believe, and it will continue on until the day that we die. In prison, Paul came to realize more fully that when you have Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. You might not have everything you want, but you have everything that you need. And no matter what happens to you, whether you live or die, Jesus Christ will be there to rescue you and to give you life. Verse 20, he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Paul is not despairing of his life. He's not trying to escape his difficult situation. Rather, he's full of joy. He's full of the Spirit. He's in Christ, and Christ is in him. He longs to see his friends in Philippi again and to continue the mission of spreading the gospel so that more and more people will come to faith and to share in the same experience that he's experiencing in Christ. But he is also aware of the inevitability of death. And he's not afraid because he knows that just behind the veil of reality, Jesus is there waiting to receive him and to usher him into resurrection life. Paul says in verse 22, if I am to live in the, in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for you. And I do not know which I prefer. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is better by far. Paul is content with living, and he's content with dying. He has no fear in life or death, because Jesus Christ is in him, and through the Spirit, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Paul is sharing what happened to him through him and in him, so that we would know that Jesus Christ is is more than enough. If you have Jesus, then you have everything you need to live and die with confidence and without fear. Jesus is for us. He's with us. And if we believe, then he's in us, ready to save us from living with ourselves at the center to living with him at the center. And through us, he's spreading the good news so that others would experience his love and share in this life. Now, there are two ways that we can respond to all of this. One is that after hearing what happened to, through, and in Paul, we have the freedom to say, no thanks. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Ben, but I just, I don't, I don't really want to be a part of this. That's okay. We can continue to do what we want to do. We have the freedom to choose. The other option is, is that we could say yes. We could say yes to Jesus. If you recognize that you need to be rescued. If you're tired of trying to figure out your life in your own power and strength and limited resources, then all you have to do is ask him. He's here with us this morning, in and through the presence of the Spirit, and he's ready and willing to share his wisdom and his strength and his unlimited resources with us. If you would like to say yes to Jesus this morning, then feel free to make this prayer your own. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are here with us today by your Spirit. We confess that we need your help. Do in us what you did for Paul. Increase our awareness of your presence in us. Give us your strength to endure whatever circumstances we find ourselves in and protect us from whatever threats are trying to undo us. That whether we live or die, we would know you as more than enough. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen.